You're listening to Not Many of You Should Become Teachers, a podcast that explores the world of K-12 education as it intersects with the Christian faith. You might call us extreme moderates. We're skeptics who try not to be cynics, who desire to see Christian educators dive deeper in their vocation. Welcome to the show. Right. Welcome back to another episode of Not Many of You Should Become Teachers. Today, in this uh, September afternoon, we are joined with a new guest. We are joined with Dr. AJ Swoboda. So welcome to the show. Well, what a hoot to be with you. Thanks for having me. How about you start by giving us a brief introduction and telling our audience about yourself. Let us know where you're located and what it is that you do. I'd be happy to. Yeah, I live uh, in the the lush land of the Pacific Northwest. I live in Eugene, Oregon, uh, here just about two hours south of Portland. And I live with my wife and my son and our 12 uh, emotionally unstable chickens. And uh, <laughs> nice. I uh, teach, yeah, so I'm, uh, uh, I teach at a, uh, uh, one of the oldest uh, universities on the West Coast, uh, Bushnell University, and it's a, a Christian liberal arts school. And I'm the assistant professor of Bible theology and world Christianity. So I uh, predominantly teach um, undergraduate courses at my institution, mm-hmm. but then I as well run a doctor of ministry program at Fuller Seminary on the Holy Spirit and leadership. So I get to do some work with graduate and postgraduate students as well. But my primary vocation and calling at this stage in my life is finding creative ways to help undergraduate students Mm. access the beauty and glories of these sacred documents that Mm. we've come to call the Bible. AJ, it's wonderful. Thank you again uh, for for being here. And yeah, just love hearing that in the description of of both what you do and and, and who you are and um, sort of centering around uh, both your passion and your calling. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, greetings from, from up here in Canada. We're a few hundred miles north of you, <laughs> straight yes. north of you. Yes. And uh, yes, share, share that love of the, uh, of the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, and actually, I, I think I mentioned to you before that uh, I'm doing a certificate program uh, at, at Fuller right now. Oh yes, that's right. Yes, so yeah, I start a, start a course on on Monday. So looking forward to that. And uh, I'm yeah. gonna guess I'm gonna guess our programs are kind of uh, in distant parts of the university. We probably don't over overlap a lot, but at the same right. time, you're at a great school. So I'm really glad that you're there. Wonderful. And so it's kind of funny. So we're, we're a few hundred miles, literally, uh, physically north of you. Um, but on the sort of the hierarchy or the, the trajectory of, of student learning, uh, we're just a little bit below you in, uh, in the K to 12 world. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so to, to bring our listeners up to speed, which most of our listeners are, uh, K to 12 educators, most of them in, in Christian schooling, Christian school context, um, you have written, this is uh, the second question we had for you, you've written a, a, and spoken uh, about some of your own students, so those would be undergraduate students, uh, untrained for a world of difference, right? Mm. And uh, I think you call, and, and just a pluralist um, world. And f- for you've also spoken about navigating information overload, a, a world that uh, we would we would align with you in, in so many ways about the, the lack of wisdom, but sort of just information overload. So 
thought we'd give you an opportunity to um, what you do and what your calling is and your passion about um, what what might you say to to us? We're middle school educators, we're high school educators in a in a Christian context. Mm. Well, certainly the first part um, uh, in terms of the the two primary things that you've raised here. The first part uh, is is this idea that you what you said living in a world of difference, uh, living in a world mm-hmm. of a very complex, multi-ethnic, multi-religious, uh, multicultural environment that we find ourselves in. A lot of um, the young people that we know that we uh, serve um, as teachers uh, are often raised in the church environments of nurturing, loving, terrific homes where they are uh, raised to follow Jesus and be passionate, kingdom-minded people, and that's terrific. Uh, But the reality is often when those students leave our nurturing environments, uh, for many of them, they have not been uh, adequately prepared for a world in which many of their ideas are uh, are quite hostile, or at least treated as hostile. Mm -hmm. And the result is uh, quite staggering. Three-fourths uh, of all uh, students here in America, at least, and there's research behind all this, but three-fourths of all students who are raised in the church in America uh, do not identify or practice Christian faith four years uh, after their college years. So uh, to give a context, that means one out of four uh, young people in America that are raised in the church are still either identifying as or practicing Christians four years uh, after their college experience. That's astounding. And uh, in my humble estimation, a lot of that is a breakdown of uh, the way that we are forming and educating young people. Um, And and I think one of the primary issues that we're facing is we are not introducing people, the young, to the difficult ideas that they're going to be encountering in the world uh, before they make it into the world. And the result is they are one YouTube video or one professor's lecture away from chucking the Bible and their faith. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm totally convinced that the way of Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Um, but, but we have to, we have to begin to raise a resilient generation that can withstand that world of difference because it is a hostile world. Um, I don't actually, I I got so into that question. I don't even remember the second question. Um, And so I'll let that first one just stand. Mm. Uh, We have a sacred responsibility as educators to prepare people to be resilient uh, for the long term. And I think that 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 theme of resiliency would would echo back into that, like the yeah, I'll let that stand right with the 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 information part and lacking of wisdom. Like I think that can be tied into that. So, yeah. just w- wondering out of either your own your own experience or even your own uh, yeah, just sort of uh, opinion on this. Uh, I I always try and resist speaking sort of like uh in an industrial kind of factory model but like we're earlier in that development in that formation line right um with with middle school with um with with a christian high school um so the students that are many that would would show up uh like we're in that formative part uh, before they would arrive 
um, to you and to your classroom space. Is there anything that that in this vein that you would sort of maybe maybe direct in, in encouragement? It doesn't have to be critique, but encouragement no. for what would I tell you? Yeah, what would you tell us? <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah, that's a great question. Cut through all me. Yeah, what would you say to us? Well, I'm I'm teaching. A, I, I think the best way to answer that, uh, and I love your humility in in asking uh, in asking me that because I could re- reverse the question and say. Uh, you know, you've spent years serving these students. What can I do on my end to continue mm. the work that you've been doing? Uh, but that's not, you know, that's not necessarily what we're what we're talking about here. I'm teaching a uh, really interesting class right now on it's a Bible seminar class, so it's a one credit class, uh, and we are the the whole class is on the hard texts of the Bible, and what we're what we're what we're literally doing is we're doing an experiment. What if rather than running away from the texts in the Bible that freak us out, what if we actually ran to them? Uh, what if we actually just went straight at them and tackled them as they are? And at the, in the first week, I talked about this phenomenon that I've, I've seen of young people who go off to college and they discover in some class or some YouTube video they watch or something, they discover some, quote, problem with the Bible or the Christian faith. And when they discover this problem, mm-hmm. they sort of <laughs> they, they sort of assume like they've discovered this problem that Christians have never thought about for thousands of years. Like they've, right. they've discovered this really big thing that no one's ever thought about. And I, I talk about in, in that class this phenomenon of feeling like you have somehow caught Christianity in a bind or something. When in reality, that is just a lack of education. That, that in reality, there there is not one question that we have today that the church has not been wrestling with for 2,000 years. I mean, we have new iterations of those questions, but, but nothing new is under the sun. The same questions right. that we have now, we've been asking for nearly 2,000 years. And that that is a lot of wisdom, 2,000 years of wisdom. And that means that when you're reading Joshua and the sun standing still in the sky for 24 hours, yeah, it's a hard text, but you've got some really great wisdom about how to think about that uh, over the history of the church. Hmm. Um, I think what I would say to you, uh, and I would say to any junior high uh, a teacher or high school teacher, would be introduce uh, your students to the problems of the Christian faith uh, earlier on mm. and introduce them to these challenges earlier on because because when when we learn the difficulties of the Bible or the Christian faith from the church and from God's people, it creates trust. Mm-hmm. But when we mm-hmm. learn those same questions from an atheist professor or YouTube, it creates distrust. Almost uh, a sense that it's been been hidden from you or that's something. That's exactly right. Yeah. If we are the ones that introduce it, then we are the ones who are trusted enough to bring some kind of clarity around it. And so when it comes, I mean, in, in parenting, you know, it's, this is parenting because it's my, I know there's going to come a point when my child at some point is going to stumble across pornography on the internet. It's the 21st century yeah, and they're inevitable. Yeah. It's, it's inevitable. Here's what I want to do. I want to be the one that talks to my son about it before he has that encounter. And what that's going to do is it's going to remove the shame and the guilt that he somehow is this horrible human being. I want him to be led into the problem rather than stumble into the problem. 
And so on your end, I think there is a education responsibility that, that we have to introduce the young to the problems earlier on. Now there's, there's boundaries around that. There's a reason that the Jews would not let somebody read uh, the song of Solomon until they're 13 years old. Uh, because it's a book that's quite erotic. It has sexual imagery. There's some stuff that you, yeah. you, you know, there needs to be boundaries to that. We talk um, about, yeah, developmentally appropriate. Not, exactly. Right. Developmentally appropriate issues. And I'm going to guess, even in your context, that means we need to start talking about things like gender and sexuality around their freshman year in high school, if not before, because all of their friends are talking about it. And if we're not, uh, we're just setting our kids up to think that we're hiding stuff from them. Um, sorry, this just prompted a question because not only is the school student and teacher, but it's also uh, includes parents. They're a part yes. of the community as well. Yes. And part of some motivations for potentially sending a child to a Christian school actually comes from maybe, I don't know if these parents would use this word, but the word I'll use is to shelter students. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes that comes across from, from what I'm understanding from you is, is there's like this idea of like, there's nothing to see here. And we, we kind of cover <laughs> things up. So, and, and I think there are teachers that are on board with what you're trying to say. Like we want to equip students and you're right. Like this, this world of information, overload let's go sooner than later but what about parents that might be more interested in sheltering their students what would you maybe respond to that yeah i mean i i listen i'm a and if, if uh, i wrote a book by the way which we haven't had a chance to talk about called after yeah. doubt which is about um this phenomenon that we call deconstruction which is this reality that um we just see a lot of people right now undoing uh their faith so people who have been raised uh or came to believe in jesus and then are deconstructing their faith um, and I, listen, I'm a dad of a 10 year old who, uh, I'm terrified of sending my son into the world. I mean, I, I, uh, I lose sleep over it. Um, I, I write in the book about, you know, realizing I'm handing my son a faith that he very well may deconstruct down the road. That terrifies me. It, it, I lose sleep over this stuff. And I think any parent does mm -hmm. the tendency for all of us is to want to be overly protective. But the problem with doing that is um, actually our tendencies to overprotect can actually create our children's desire to want to deconstruct. I, I use an illustration um, that I think um, may be helpful uh, to use in an instance like this. Mm -hmm. And the illustration is um, a number of years ago, the university of Arizona here in the States did a, built this um, uh, biodome, this, this totally enclosed biodome, which has, essentially its own atmosphere and it's all enclosed, but it's, you know, covered in glass. So the sun can come in and they have spent billions of dollars on this project. I mean, it's, it's absolutely astounding out in the middle of the desert in, uh, in Arizona. Well, they, they built this biodome, but there was a, uh, uh, and I had read about this years ago, but they had a problem and they had put all these trees in the biodome and the, the trees all grew up really fast but then after just a couple, just a little while, it was not long, the trees almost in unison all just fell over. 
And the, the, the scientists, these nerds are trying to figure out, you know, what in the world did we do? <laughs> we spent billions of dollars out here in the desert and these trees are just falling. And they looked at the soil. Is there something wrong with the air quality? Is there not enough sun? And the soil was fine. The air quality is fine. And there's plenty of sun. There was one problem. What does a biodome have zero of? Uh, there's no wind. And it turns out that when trees don't have wind, their roots don't go down. They stay at the surface. Mm. And the only way that a tree can be deep, it has to be pushed. There has to be resistance. And when I, when I read about this phenomenon of, of you know, that actually a, a, the tree's health is dependent on resilience, that, that idea, if I'm honest with you, has changed the way that I parent my son. Mm -hmm. um, my son needs to be challenged or his roots will not go deep. And when he faces that freshman year uh, gender studies class at the University of Oregon and all of his assumptions are questioned, uh, he doesn't have roots that go deep. And and so, you know, I, I, let me put it this way. We have this phenomenon of, of helicopter parenting. Right. And as a college past, a college professor, I see this all the time, students who, who literally just, their parents won't leave them alone. Their parents are just... <laughs> making sure that they're doing their laundry every day and going to the bathroom and eating good food and all this stuff. <laughs> and and I, I just am struck that in the Bible, God often puts his people, his covenant people in very hostile environments. And I, I'm just struck that the God of the universe is not a helicopter God. He seems to be okay with putting us in difficult environments to grow us up. And how much more God loves us than we love our kids. How much more God loves our kids than we love our kids. So I, I think what I'm trying to say, what I'm getting at here mm -hmm. is I'm saying the heart of wanting to protect our parent, our children is good to a point, but then it becomes a helicopter parenting. So there's right. a line, there's a line and we just need to be careful to not cross the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the the curveball I kind of threw there, but yeah, it's uh, it's the school is um, yeah. We definitely weave through many different uh, mm -hmm. small communities, whether it be staff or students or parents. So it all comes together at one point for sure. In in the same vein of deconstruction, could you maybe speak to how you could see Christian educators helping students to avoid the, you could call them the dual pitfalls of unbounded deconstruction uh, on the one hand, and then entrenched fundamentalism on the other? And uh, yeah, just maybe you could play around with that, because obviously with our students, we have a wide variety of, of like, of students who are either exposed to faith or not at all, but um, we could definitely see students going a lot of different directions, but what maybe would be something you would say to that? Yeah. Well, that, that you, first of all, you, you, you use this phrase unbounded deconstruction, which yes. is a phrase uh, that, that uh, Rene Girard uses. He, he was a French philosopher who was looking at this whole deconstruction uh, movement. Uh, mm -hmm. It's sort of the, Foucaultian French, uh, you know, deconstruction tradition uh, in the postmodern period, and Rene Girard looked at it and he said, I, "The thing that worries me," and he was a, you know, he was a Catholic, French Catholic, loved Jesus. Uh, he says he worried about what he called uh, this unbounded deconstruction, meaning 
burn it all to the ground. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> d- demolition, demolition, right? Destroy the whole thing. And we are seeing a lot of that right now. I mean, we we are seeing uh, a great deal of that, at least in my context in the states, of people who are just saying, "Let the whole thing burn down. Let let the church burn down. Let religion burn down. Let it all uh, burn down." And in that context, people are basically given the young are given two options. Either uh, if you're going to be a Christian uh, in that environment, you have two options. Number one, you can go really progressive, go to the left and um, essentially modernize the Christian faith. Uh, Chuck, everything Christians have said about sexuality for 2000 years, um, mythologize the Bible, uh, rip out the miracles and make Jesus into a ethical hippie or uh, go to the right and uh, essentially become a fundamentalist and uh, question anybody who has questions and say that all deconstruction is evil, bad, and a slippery slope uh, to liberalism. Those are the two options we give people. And I think the better option uh, between those two uh, is, uh, is Jesus. And <laughs> nice. <laughs> me- meaning, meaning that um, really the answer to all of our questions, I, I, I mean this, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding that actually the answer to every human question is at its core, um, Jesus and the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas Willard, God rest his soul, uh, who was a philosophy professor, loved Jesus with all his heart and probably will be known as the uh, Thomas Akempis of our generation who taught us mm. how to be formed into the image of Christ in a way mm. that nobody else had been doing, um, ha- made a comment once uh, that w- in whatever room you find yourself, be it a room of doctors, a, a room of physicians, a room of scientists, a room of um, dentists, a room of cooks, that in any room, Jesus is always the smartest guy in the room. And his 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 premise what he's saying here is he's saying jesus is not do not minimize jesus as a religious figure he's the smartest doctor he's the smartest politician he's the smartest mother he's the smartest father he's the smartest um dentist that in anything that we do actually at the end of the day jesus is the greatest option and i i think we have a responsibility in in the culture wars of our time to not teach people to go to the right or the left, but to go deep into Jesus. Hmm. And that you, you could go, well, okay, what do we do with that? That's the question we all have to ask is what does it mean right now as educators to point students to the mystery, the beauty and the glory of the God who became a human being 2000 years ago was raised on a Roman cross unjustly as a uh, falsely accused uh, criminal and, and beat death. And our responsibility as educators at the end of the day, whether we're math teachers or whether we're science teachers or Bible teachers is that everything that we do is really just a sign to that guy. Mm. Great. Yeah. Chewing on that. So good. Yeah. What's, what's standing out to me, you mentioned, what was it? Mystery, glory. And what was the third one in that, that great list of three? (laughs) Yeah. Mystery, glory, and, 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 
and I don't know what word I use, but just the we we need we need just scrub back listeners you can hear it again yeah 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 we can make it it's all <laughs> we good need a, we need a cruciform pedagogy yes and yes. what i mean by that is yeah. we need an approach at education that really does see our assignment at as holding up um the crucified jesus yeah um, yeah that i i will tell you i'm a theologian and it is astounding to me how many theologians are not pointing to jesus they are pointing to their peer-reviewed articles Mm. Um, so it is possible to even be a Bible teacher and not be pointing to Jesus. It's astounding, yeah. but it's very possible. And sorry, just, I, I appreciate that you said that because just in, in, um, in our previous, like or earlier in our conversation, we were talking about exposing students to problems and tackling things and, and we'll now we'll more explicitly pointing them to Jesus. But I think there is like, from a teacher perspective, there is like perhaps an anxiety and then also a pressure to become a bit of when we expose students to problems to become a bit of a Bible answer man or to uh, become, uh, to become super yeah. so deep in the arguments of apologetics that we lose beauty and mystery and pointing us to the person of Christ as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, what, 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 well, here's what happens. Um, and, and unfortunately, again, I'm talking a lot of this experience and this book that I wrote after doubt was the hardest book I've ever written. Um, and it albeit I wrote an 80,000 four year project for my PhD that was significantly easier than this one. And the reason this was such a hard one to write is because I'm not writing about, um, I'm not writing about some abstract group of people that are deconstructing their faith. These are people I've pastored these are students of mine. These are family members. This is a very personal thing. What I was going to say about 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 this this idea of um, uh, th- this issue that you're raising of you know we we are torn between bringing up the problems, but then also being torn be- behind being Bible answer people um, is if we if we if we don't. So people, okay, so here's what's going to happen. People are going to take, our students are going to take their questions somewhere. And mm-hmm. if they can't, yes. if yes. they cannot bring their questions about faith and God and the Bible to us, they are going to take them to YouTube. Agreed. Yes. Yes. So here's what we do. When we do not create space for people to bring their legitimate questions mm-hmm. to us, we are we are forming them. We are teaching them to take them to Twitter. We're forming them and teaching them to take them to YouTube. And let, let us all just be very clear here. YouTube is not a good space to take your unresolved spiritual questions. I am struck at how Jesus made space for people with questions and struggles so much so that we have a a disciple who's named for doubt Mm. doubting Thomas who is when the other disciples have seen the resurrected Jesus, he still doesn't believe yet is sticks around for a week before Jesus shows him his, 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 his marks on his hands. And that what that means is let me translate that. What that means is, the resurrection community made room for people that had a hard time believing in the resurrection. That space that was given to Thomas created just enough space for him to be around long enough to see the resurrection. He eventually becomes 
the first missionary to go to, to India. Mm. And if you've ever met a Thomas Christian, there yeah. are generations of Christians in, in India named Thomas Christians who are Christians because that guy space was made for him and his questions to stick around long enough to believe. I can think, I just can think of hundreds of young people that I know yeah. who are in our churches are in our schools who have the same questions, but are being told or somehow shamed that those questions are bad, not good. And they've got to shut up. I'm, I'm just telling you now, those questions will find their way somewhere. And if they're not made room in our institutions and in our classrooms, They'll find their way on Twitter. It's the question. Do we yeah. want do we want those questions to be brought to the presence of God? Uh, or or on social media? And that um, yeah, <laughs> amen. The that line you had about the, the the resurrected community, community of the resurrection, right? Having space for questions about the resurrection. Like, may that be true of our of our classroom mm-hmm. spaces, of our schools, right? Of our institutions. And I'm I'm sorry. Here's here's uh, Riley and I always say we call them curveballs because it's like they weren't. Really, this is that semi-scripted part we were talking about. Yeah. Um, you've got, you've got me thinking. Uh, again, the 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 two po- the the polarization, the two poles, and and the Jesus in the center, and and I I hear that, and you might have noticed the tagline of our our podcast. We we're not super enamored with it, but uh, we, we've been playing around with the idea of being extreme moderates, just kind of tongue in cheek uh, to, to, to try and hold space as you have been articulating so well in, in this, in this center. And, and that center has to be Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about, this is my question is the relationship between us as the teachers and part of that quote, resurrected community and the classrooms that we curate and cultivate and, and do all of our stuff. And and we exist within these institutions. We have to, right? In, yes. Inevitably, where it, it's going to get pigeonholed, it's going to be pulled to one of those 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 polar sides in, in one sense. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, not not Jesus, but but can that tension, can that center hold? <laughs> you know, mm. Um, mm. Uh, can it? Uh, well, y- yes, but not institutionally. Yeah. And what, I, mm. what I mean by that is. Um, uh, if you if you think that an institution um, can just somehow create a mission statement that will protect the heart of worship, um, then then we haven't learned from in. So uh, that that there's a few Bible colleges that that you know about and I know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call them Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Um, that all three were started as Bible colleges. So uh, they were all started with hearts uh, institutionally to pass on the faith. Uh, None of us would say that those are institutions that are at this moment uh, seeking to exalt the name of Jesus. Uh, I'm not convinced that an institution can get saved. I'm convinced that people can get saved. And those callings, those people in those institutions have to give everything in their life to exalt the name of Jesus in those places. I teach at a wonderful institution that that is a Christian institution by name, and it's a phenomenal institution. But that does not mean that because it's a Christian institution, it's yeah, passing on the living faith. It's not a guarantor of the. I mean, it, it, no. we want it to be, but it can't be a, a absolutely. Guarantor. We want it to be, but yeah. the, the only way it can work, the yeah. only way it can work, is if people who have the living faith in them are in those classrooms doing the work 
of passing the living faith on. But an yeah. institution cannot pass along the living faith. Yeah, there's a, yeah, this, uh, thanks so much for this. So good. Uh, uh, not to divulge too much of our, of our own, we, we, we tend to generalize here on the podcast, but, um, you know, can think in our own institution of, of people who have that desire. Uh, and yet some of the institutional forces, right? Some of it is just inertia, but some of it also is sort of right. a- actively back to, you know, it's like, uh, get back to some fundamentals here or back to the basics of what we, what we were about can almost lead to, again, a polarization, even as we're doing that stuff in, in our classrooms. Yep. So. Yeah, I, I heard a, um, I don't remember who, who it was who said it, but I heard um, some, somebody say something to the effect of, um, oh yeah, it's, it's a great, it's that beautiful quote by um, Yaroslav Pelikan, uh, who's, a, who's a, actually a Catholic thinker, who said uh, the, 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 the living faith of, uh, the, what's the exact quote? It's, uh, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living, but tradition is the living faith of the dead. Um, and we don't want to be traditionalistic in that we just guard the traditions, yeah. but, but man, there is power in tradition. As long as that tradition is passing along the embers of faith, mm-hmm. so right. there's, a, Ooh, there's, a, there's a tension between those yeah. two. Oh, well said, well said. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you mentioned embers. Like, I'm still still dwelling even a little bit on the image that you gave about um, Thomas and the the space that Jesus leaves, as opposed to what YouTube might look like. And um, when I think about YouTube, I think about these clickbaits that might say like, I don't know, Dawkins destroys Christian argument in all caps or something, you know? And then, and then you would have the reverse too, like choose your apologetics master to destroy atheist argument or whatever. And like this, this, um, it's almost equally hostile. And like yes. within that, I sense no embers of tradition or, no. or embers of faith within whatever new tradition or, or, or tradition that they're working within, right? I really yeah, appreciate we're not, we're that. Not, and by the way, when, when we're watching those videos, when we're watching that video of some apologist destroying Bart Ehrman or, yeah. or some, you know, Richard Dawkins or whatever, we're not watching that because we're interested in the truth or Jesus. We're interested in somebody um, making us feel like we're right. That's right. Yeah. And, right. And that, yes. That, that, that sort of feedback loop if 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 an atheist was doing that, we would look down on them and go like, "Gosh, they're just they're just making themselves feel good." We're doing <laughs> yeah. the same exact thing. It's no different. Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely you're absolutely right. That that sort of that sort of boxing match approach to truth, where we just <laughs> where we just like get people bloody and sort of hope that our side is gonna is gonna is gonna win. That's not. Gosh, that's not the way of Jesus. Um, we're called to follow Jesus. We're not called to destroy people. Yes. And I think even rewinding even further, like what I appreciated what you said, like, like, of course, when we follow Jesus, we, we are interested in ethics and apologetics, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the, it's the beautiful faith right? That we're looking at and learning about the beauty of the cross. That's, that's what's actually maybe drawing us towards, um, what it is that Jesus has to offer. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, uh, Dallas Willard, I, I mentioned him two times now. Yeah. It's, it's almost like I care about him a lot. Um, 
which I do. And I think Dallas, well, I said it again, he's a Thomas Akempis of our time. I think he um, nailed it on the head. He wrote a book called, uh, he wrote a book about gentleness. It, it was the most incredible book on apologetics I've ever read. So it's, he wrote a book about um, gentleness. And the whole premise of the book is that our greatest apologetic uh, the, the title of the book is uh, 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 The Allure of Gentleness. Yes. Is that our most important apologetic as a Christian is not the argument that we have. It is the spirit with which we argue it. And he, you know, you could say, well, gosh, what is, are there no arguments for the Christian faith? And that's not what he's saying. Right. He's just saying we say more about Jesus by how we make a case for Jesus. Our posture. Or, or, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Now that I can feel that in my bones. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, I, uh, gosh, watching, um, uh, and, and I want to be sensitive here, but watching people who I know who made some faith commitment under the ministry of Ravi Zacharias, who are now, um, looking back and wondering if they can still believe in Jesus, knowing what their hero has done. Um, uh, is 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 so heartbreaking to watch. We we live in a moment in time where character and formation yeah. are could not be more important for the yes. Christian witness. They simply can't. We our character and, and I say in in America we are being torn asunder right now by a Republican party, and we are way off target here t- t- topic. But a Republican party <laughs> no, that has just- traded in character and formation for power and the young people in America are deconstructing that form of Christianity down to its bones. And they should, because we have, we have made a tactical decision to trade in the character of Jesus for our soul. We have gained the world and lost our soul. Mm. That's, it's, that's heavy. It's almost like Jesus knew what he was talking about. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So all this to say, you yeah. how okay? How do we form kids into the image of Jesus? And the answer is, it begins with us as educators being formed into the cross. And that means, as educators, I actually do things like pray for my students. Mm-hmm. I actually do things like forgive my students. I actually do things like uh, repent of my sins. I actually do things like uh, pray in the spirit. I actually do things like being humble and correctable and I learn how to be wrong. And those, those little things, you can tell a teacher that prays, man, you can tell, you can tell a teacher who comes into the classroom with their heart humble before the living God, that stuff sticks in students like glue. And what I love about that is it's, it's in the moment. It's a very present, you know, call it embodied or whatever, but it, so much of our, our, even our Christian education character formation talk that a lot of our rhetoric is about like the, the people that we're forming, the people that are going to become in the future. But you're speaking of, of Christian practices that are embodied in the classroom space. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, one of my favorite 
uh, one of my favorite assignments in life is that I have uh, Bible classes that students are forced to take who are not Christians. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like a really generous form of the Inquisition. Uh, oh, that, cool. That, <laughs> <laughs> these students come in <laughs> the first three weeks. They are so angry yeah. that, that they have to take a Bible class. And my favorite moments are when my non-Christian students are surprised at how kind and generous their Bible professor can be and how way more interesting and awesome the Bible is than they ever expected. Meaning my favorite thing is to surprise my non-Christian students. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a gift. It's an absolute gift to, to, yeah. to, to, to be able to surprise students. I don't have students that are like, you know, confessing the name of Jesus in class because they finally had an eye-opening experience, but they're surprised. And I want them to leave being surprised by how kind their Bible professor was. Cause mm. that sticks. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's a, it, I don't want to reduce it to, but that's, that's a win, right? Like that's, that's, that's it's a win in the classroom. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So we're, we're very aware of your, of your time, AJ. And, and as we kind of wrap this thing up, uh, I'm, I'm thinking we've talked about YouTube a number of times and I, I have to admit you know, it's like confession time here. Um, I've we've seen you on YouTube, and I've watched some clips on YouTube. So you, even even you are there. Um, um, yeah, I <laughs> so, hate it. I hate I all of it. I know. It, it, even it can be redeemed, right? Oh, that's it, the oh, Lord have mercy. I hope. It can. <laughs> so to that end, for for our listeners who've uh, you know, uh, our hope is that. Um, Kind of wet the appetite for 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 thinking this through, and you've mentioned, yeah, we didn't we didn't do it. It wasn't like going through your book, but um, where can we direct our listeners who who want to hear more uh, from you and and this this vein of thinking that you can pl- plug yourself a bit and, and yeah, us- I don't you, you read the book after doubt. I, I mean, a lot of my thinking is in there. I've written a number of books that are. Are, are out there. I wrote a book called Subversive Sabbath. There's a lot of stuff out there that you yeah. can find. Um, and I have a website, ajswobodawrites.com, and I am on okay. Twitter, mrajswoboda.com. The truth is, don't go read my stuff. Read Dallas Willard. There you go. Um, okay. Go go read people like Ronald R- R- Ronald Rawlheiser. Go read people like C.S. Lewis and Thomas Akempis. Um, read the people uh, who are old and have wrinkles and are not alive anymore are the cloud of witnesses who have a lot more important things to say than people mm. like myself beautiful uh, it, it back at you with the uh, with the humility so thank you for that yeah thank you and thanks again to our listeners just as we sign off here if you are looking for more episodes you can find it all on notmanyofyou.com you can find us on twitter at notmanyofyou and be sure to hit subscribe if you'd like to be notified for more episodes thank you for listening thank you dr aj swoboda and have a good one bye-bye